0: So we are in the third week of our advent series even though technically it's the second week of advent advent being this time in the church calendar that is leading up to christmas is this time of hope and expectation and excitement for for christmas and and the coming of jesus Um, and and during this season during this series we're calling it upside down christmas because we want to take a look at advent and this idea of the incarnation, God becoming enfleshed, from a different type of perspective. Um, often we get caught up in a lot of details and describing details. Well, how did this happen? How, how is it possible that God could become human? Um, but rather than describing the details or just describing the details, we're wanting to spend our time in this series and this season ascribing meaning, moving from just how did this happen to why did this happen? Um, God coming down, not just to come down, but in order to lift us up. God becoming human um, and experiencing all of the things that come with being human, not to disregard them, but to affirm them and provide us uh, another option, another alternative, another piece of balance Uh, and tension within those human experiences so each week we're taking on the the traditional theme of the advent sunday and then offering the human alternative so last week we talked about hope and the experience of despair and then today we let lit the candle for peace and we're talking about the experience the very human experience of violence Um, How many of you are familiar with the Christmas truce? Anybody? Okay, maybe like half of you, okay? Uh, I grew up hearing about the Christmas truce like every single year. The the Christmas truce, if you're not familiar with it, um, we're going to go all the way back 109 years to the very first year of World War I, and it was right around Christmas Day when all of a sudden from the trenches... Christmas carols could be heard from both sides of the trenches. And uh, even like makeshift Christmas trees started like poking up out of the tops of the trenches. The trenches were close enough at this time for the different sides to be able to hear one another. And so, as one side would hear what the others were doing, uh, they stopped throwing grenades, but they started like throwing insults instead back at one another. Uh, But but then it got to the point they were able to hear each other and like empathize with each other as as they were both like trying to celebrate Christmas that both sides kind of realized this is wild that as we're both in this experience of trying to celebrate Christmas that we would be shooting at one another. So on, on Christmas Day or right around Christmas Day in 1914, both sides on the western front in the midst of the rain and the mud and the cold set down their weapons they got up out of the trenches and they came towards one another Uh, in the actual trench warfare there was like um barbed wire that was separating them so they came up to the edge of that barbed wire and they uh they exchanged greetings and they exchanged drinks and cigarettes and uh all sorts of good cheer that you would anticipate uh, there, there were also these stories going around at the time that those in no man's land, so where neither side was, was really in, in charge, uh, the Germans and the, the British and the French came together for friendly games of soccer. This is in the middle of the war. They said, you know what, it's, it's Christmas, we're, we're all celebrating Christmas, we, we ought to be able to put uh, these hostilities aside to be able to, to come together for this. And again, like I said, I, I was told this story basically every single year. What a beautiful story of peace at Christmas time. But like, from the very first time I heard the story, and I was pretty young at that time, I, I couldn't really believe that story. It's not that it didn't happen, because there's lots of evidence that says that, that it did happen, including pictures like the one up here on the screen. Um, but it's that I, I couldn't believe like the idea that people could set aside their hostilities for a day or two days and then go back to their separate trenches and then go about trying to kill each other. They had, they had just like agreed that they weren't going to kill each other. Then they went back to their, their trenches and they, they went after it just a day later, moments later. It was like, from, from the time I was that little, I was able to understand that this was an exception that proved the rule of violence. This was not peace. This was the pausing of hostilities so that violence could eventually begin again. Violence fr- from like that age, I was able to know that violence was relentless. They went back to fighting. They would eventually kill one another. Uh, this war would drag on for years, and by the next Christmas, truces like this were actually outlawed between the forces. They, they could not set aside their, their disagreements any longer. Even after the war, which became known, it wasn't originally called World War I, it was called what? The, the Great War, or the, the War to End All Wars, Two decades later, these sides went at it again. Even the pausing of hostilities for two decades, eventually violence came back and violence was the thing that, it was the exception that proved the rule. Violence is relentless. It's like wave upon wave upon wave upon wave. I think of of violence being like a a hurricane that just kind of sits in one spot and the, the waves keep coming over and over and over and over Again, violence is uh, the the experience of people who are actually in war zones where the bombs are falling outside their houses and the the concern is that the soldiers are going to start coming into their houses and that, that doesn't go away, that fear does not go away. Violence is that experience of getting a medical diagnosis and it leads to another and another and another, another complication, another complication, and then to a medical bill and then another and another and another violence is relentless violence you can think of it as the question is will it ever end will it ever end i think that um putting ourselves in the position of the the people of israel living before the time of jesus they must have been asking this question as well will this experience of exile ever end talked in detail last week about the exile. Uh, the exile was this period of time. Uh, it was um, a couple hundred years, a bunch of different events that kind of get looped in together. The, the exile was the experience of the, the people of Israel and Judah, the Jewish people who were displaced from their homes uh, and conquered and then removed by two different empires. And there was this open question of, how do we come back from this? That was the question that we talked about last week. And the question had to be also going from within their minds, will this ever end? Because eventually those who were moved were allowed to come back. But there was still this question of will the occupation ever end? Because our, our, uh, these empires are still in charge here. We'll, we're still like reliant on them for whatever peace or lack of hostilities that we have will this violence that is against us ever end and so what we see throughout our bibles uh, we see these stories of people trying to grapple with this again not just describe the details of what was happening but ascribe (laughs) meaning to what they were going through Um, in, in this exile how can we understand how we got here and how we get out of this And so we have stories like the one that we read last week from the the book of Jeremiah and the one that we'll read in just a couple minutes from the book of Isaiah. People trying to grapple with, how did we get into this spot and how might we get out of it? And uh, public truth tellers, prophets like Isaiah, again, which we'll read through in just a, a couple minutes offered examples of you know this is like the result of natural consequences you were provided examples for what it looked like to live peacefully and yet you went away from that and so this is a natural consequence of of your disobedience and that often got wrapped in language around god's wrath and god's punishment but as things move forward um a, a brighter picture for what might be ahead was laid out there and there was this idea that maybe we can come back from this maybe this will end and maybe this is how it might end maybe god might send one uh, someone who can bring us back from this so here is an example that the the prophet the public truth teller isaiah laid out he said comfort comfort my people says your god speak kindly to jerusalem and tell her that her time of warfare is over that her punishment is completed. For the Lord has made her pay double for all her sins. A voice cries out In the wilderness, clear a way for the Lord, construct in the desert a road for our God. Every valley must be elevated, every mountain and hill leveled, the rough terrain will become a level plain, the rugged landscape a wide valley. The splendor of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it at the same time for the Lord has decreed it. Look, the sovereign Lord comes as a victorious warrior. His military power establishes his rule. Look, his reward is with him. His prize goes before him. Like a shepherd, he tends his flock. He gathers up the lambs with his arm. He carries them close to his heart. He leads the ewes away. So this is chapter 40 of Isaiah. Isaiah is a really long book. Chapter 40 is like a pivot point in the book. Um, There's actually scholars who think that at this point, there's actually a different author who's writing these words. There's a different tone that kind of kicks in. And so uh, this is sometimes referred to as Deutero-Isaiah, if you want to be fancy uh, or, or second Isaiah. It's like someone picked up the story and is writing in Isaiah's voice. And they want you to think of Isaiah as they're writing this. Uh, but there's there's a transition from judgment to comfort or a transition from violence to peace up to this point these 39 chapters that have led up to it uh, isaiah is laying out here are the bad things that are happening to you and are going to happen to you And they are happening because you disobeyed and because God is mad at you. And in chapter 40, there is a bit of a pivot to say, it starts with comfort, comfort. Your time of warfare, it's now done. Their time of warfare, their time of violence was not actually going to end right at that point. It did not. It continued for quite a long time, but the message was a pivot. The message was, now you can start thinking about peace and what comes after this. Yes, we are like flowers, we are like grass that withers in the field, that gets blown away by the wind, but the God of the wind is gracious and compassionate and is going to provide for an end to this, even when it feels like there is no end. God is going to come like a warrior, not to destroy you, but to protect you. God is going to come like a shepherd to provide you comfort, even in the midst of your discomfort. As the years went on, uh, there was this expectation, once again, that God was going to provide that end of hostilities, specifically maybe in one person. Isaiah starts talking about this servant who is going to come and embrace all of that and is going to be the one who brings about peace. And so as the years go on, people continue to look for that servant. Many of them continue to have that warrior mindset in their their heads though. And so they, they think this is the person, this servant is going to be the one who defeats all of our enemies. They're going to defeat the Romans. They're going to defeat the Babylonians before them. They're going to defeat the Assyrians before them. Years pass, times pass. That big, gallant warrior does not come. But then this guy named Jesus shows up on the scene. And he's born, and he lives, and he dies. And his followers start to look back on his life and ask this question, what what happened here? And they start to ascribe meaning to it and say, "Maybe, maybe this is an example of God not doing something completely new, but maybe this is a continuation of what God has been up to all along. Maybe this is an example of God entering into our violence, not just completely wiping it out, but providing us an experience of peace within the violence and so these early followers of jesus start like trying to understand it for themselves and then start to articulate it for others and they hand it down and and we get it in in uh versions like these two passages this first one is from romans chapter five one of jesus's earliest followers named paul says therefore since we have been declared righteous by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of god's glory not only this but we also rejoice in sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance character and character hope and hope does not disappoint because the love of god has been poured out in our hearts through the holy spirit who has given to us we rejoice in our sufferings not because we should be happy with our sufferings but because we have an experience we we can understand what peace looks like and feels like even in the midst of all the bad stuff that's going on maybe this isn't something completely new maybe this is an end of hostilities between god and us because god has actually never been hostile to us And maybe if God has never been hostile to us, maybe in the midst of our violence, we can find some sense of peace. Again, same guy. Paul writes in this letter to the Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let everyone see your gentleness. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Instead, in every situation, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, tell your request to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The violence is still there. It is still relentless. And yet maybe beyond our understanding, we can still have an experience of peace within that violence, within our skin of of what it looks like and feels like to be a human on a daily basis. Uh, This... Sally McRae is a a strength and conditioning coach and ultra runner. She's gotten really famous over the last couple years because she, uh, first of all, she won, uh, it's called the Badwater. It's a 135 mile race through Death Valley in the middle of the summer. Why? Why is a great question. Uh, it gets to like 130 degrees something like that there's stories of like people's uh the the treads on their shoes melting on the blacktop so she she won this race in 2021 uh and then this past summer she ran four uh 200 or mile or more mile races including uh winning uh what is the 250 mile one Uh, moab Moab 250, so she just won that a a couple months ago. So she's a strength and conditioning coach. She's an ultra runner. You might think, well, she's built up that endurance and that strength over the course of time because she's like trained her body to be able to do that. And obviously that's a huge part of it. She's a professional ultra runner. Um, But in her book, Choosing Strong, which I just consumed this past week, She lays out some of these other things that have happened in her life that has allowed her the the strength and the resiliency. Because for many, many years, uh, her and her mom and her siblings were uh, victims of violence by her dad, Uh, both physical and emotional violence. she describes, like uh, as, as she was participating in sports, if she didn't win whatever competition she was in, her, her father would beat her. If she won, but she looked too cocky, her father would beat her. If she looked at him the wrong way, her father would beat her. And actually, he taught, she talks about him as the monster, she talks about her dad, and then the monster, and the monster is the one who beat her. Her dad was the one who loved her, but the monster beat her, and as she moved forward in life, she saw less and less of her dad, and more and more of her monster. This violence against her and her family was relentless, over and over and over again. It was just something that they got used to, and they expected, and yet when she was a teenager, one day something, something snapped. Uh, Her mom had uh, what ended up being terminal breast cancer. And one day her dad called her mom upset about something actually that he had done, but he was on uh, on his way back to her house. And her mom was about to go out to to meet him knowing that she was just going to get pummeled when she got there. And Sally made a decision. She went out of the house and she was the one who confronted her dad. She was not going to allow him be violent against her mom and she took the beating but from that moment on something had changed something had changed in her and the monster had known that something had changed in that situation because she was going to be resilient no matter how the violence continued she was going to stand up she was going to be courageous and and face it no matter what violence came her way so this is what sally says pain is part of our journey and it takes strength and courage to move on despite it i believe we are built to stand strong for each other personally i want a life with a lot of standing whether i'm standing at the start line of a 100 mile race or standing to defend a loved one standing in strength and courage is a life worth living i i have no way of knowing what your personal experience of of violence is um some of the things that i've already said might might resonate with you, with you in your own experience i i can tell you that just as human beings living in the world we see the relentlessness of violence uh we see pauses and hostilities but then returns of those hostilities we saw that just in gaza again in the last couple weeks so i i can't know and i can't predict what you're facing and I can't say that it's just going to all work out okay for you nor that it's all going to work out okay for us but or and I do think one of the things that we get here is that there's still yet an opportunity for an experience of peace even in the midst of that violence An upside-down Christmas message says that, yeah, violence does not necessarily come to an end. It's not necessarily going to be wiped clean for you, but maybe a sense of peace is still possible even in the midst of that violence. An upside-down Christmas says that God in human flesh became a baby born into abject poverty, lived and taught in the midst of an empire and under tyrannical rule, was killed by that empire and by those tyrannical rulers and still offers peace in the midst of that violence and so if violence is relentless maybe peace is resilient if violence is the question will this ever end peace is the answer i don't know But I'm going to be with you regardless." As we go into this Christmas season, as violence swirls around us in our lives and in our world, may we be those people who say, we want to be people of peace beyond understanding. May we be those who are resilient, who stand up with courage to say, we want to stand in the gap may we be those who will ourselves to believe that god is with us in the midst of the violence may we be those who are present for others and may others also be present for us may that be so